You're listening to Save Yourself, conversations, ideas, and strategic thinking with the four founders of Unlimited Wealth. Join us for discussions, debates, and strategies that have brought them and their clients financial freedom, and how you too can break free from traditional boundaries to unlimit your wealth. Welcome, everybody, to Save Yourself Podcast, brought to you by Unlimited Wealth. Well, 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 Brad, we're back, man. What's up, John? Let's do this. Let's do it. John, let's talk about let's let's talk about today for the listener, kind of what it means when we say it, your capital has to reside somewhere, like your your dollars they have to have a, a living they have to have a place where they live when they're not in motion. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah. So you mean like in between deals or before outflows? Yeah, of? in between deals, money comes into the bank account. It's not immediately going out. Five seconds later, it hangs around. It might hang around for uh, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, even a few years before the next opportunity or next expense comes around. So what do we mean when we say that money has to live somewhere and this whole idea of what if we think of uh, think about our holding place as more like a distribution center? How can we relate to that concept? Yeah, I mean, I think you could think about money as being like inventory. Mm. maybe okay if that helps for the analogy you know nelson his second book was called building your warehouse of wealth mm. i want to back up i'm pulling you back on inventory what would a business do with inventory they will store it strategically and then but what's the end game with that inventory to most efficiently at lowest cost get it to the end consumer which increases their what profitability right and so when we think of our dollars as inventory, that's our way to make a profit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I just wanted to peel the onion back on that. No, thank so you. That keep, was, keep rolling. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. So if we think about money as like inventory, uh, going back to Nelson's book was Warehouse, which is a great analogy. I mean, you've got to store, uh, you know, store your wealth somewhere, mm-hmm. at least your savings dollars in particular is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think we took it a step further to think like, I guess when I think about a warehouse, I think about like just a place where stuff sits and collects dust. Yeah. I've, I've worked in a warehouse yeah. and a distribution center. Mm. Not fun. I remember some of those stories. We'll Ooh. save that for another day. For sure. So, but a distribution center runs 24-7. The one I worked at did. Mm-hmm. Never stopped. Mm-hmm. Day shift, night shift. And so I think that's why we, we like to think about our savings dollars when they are placed and reside in properly structured dividend paying participating whole life insurance as a distribution center because it doesn't just it's not like that's the end point but it's not like it's not like our money a lot of times like it gets to the end in in place mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. it's in that fund or it's in that investment deal right until you know it waterfalls back or whatever right but with infinite banking the distribution center idea is great because all we're doing is just we're we're letting our capital reside in a tax friendly environment while it compounds in an uninterrupted way. But what do we get with the distribution center? More efficient distribution. Uh, yes, and a line of credit. Ooh, yes, good call. I so, love the line of credit. I, I like to think about it. Uh, this is a this is an analogy that hits home. This distribution center thing, and and Nelson even used this, followed by a sip of coffee and a. <laughs> Like after he would talk about it. So we're in Birmingham, Alabama, and right up the road, up Interstate 65, about 45, 50 miles, a town called Coleman. Walmart has a distribution center in Coleman, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Gigantic building. 
if you've ever driven by there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many semis they can get in and out of there, but it's a bunch. So, you know, Walmart doesn't take product from their supplier normally and send it straight to the shelf where the end user is going to buy it. They take their product from all over the world where they get their product and they strategically send it to distribution centers placed in central efficient locations around where their stores are, where they're eventually going to make the profit, right? The distribution center itself doesn't make a giant amount of profit, Mm -hmm. if any. Mm -mm. It just allows the retail store, the end place, to have a greater margin because their their goods that they're going to sell were more centrally located. So if you think about our dollar that way, if we can have a distribution center, a hub, i.e. a properly structured dividend-paying whole life insurance policy, where, where is not that's not the ultimate goal of the end resting place, the end use of our dollar, that's just the most efficient place for it to be, for us to distribute it to opportunities so that we can increase profitability on each of those opportunities. Well said. Which one of the things that popped in my head when you're talking about that is that I mean, it's natural. Everyone, it's almost just like we're trained to, when it comes to money, be like, what's the rate of return? You know, what's the rate of return? It's like just in reflex, and it's normal. I think it, we we all have that. In- Returns lie. We're going to have a whole episode on that later about the difference in rate versus volume. I remember, right. I remember one guy told me, liars figure and figures lie. Mm, sounds like Nelson. Mm. You used your Nelson Nash voice. No, I, I can't do it. Nelson, I can't. I don't want to go there. <laughs> um, so, but w- what you're talking about is that, like, the distribution center in the Walmart, you know, model, like, that's an expense, mm. you know, but it leads to higher profitability, mm-hmm. better margins, et cetera. And so I think maybe, hopefully, that helps people, you know, say, hey, we're not, it's okay that we're not chasing big returns with with our IBC account. Right. Like, you know, that's a big thing is like, well, what's the rate of return inside of it? And I mean, that's a fair question and we'll, we'll totally dive into that. It's just, that's, that's not really what it's about. It's about controlling the banking function. And it does, I mean, compared to other savings tools, it it gets a, a very competitive and healthy return. Again, the problem is a lot of times we want to be that. Why do we define savings versus investments? Because when you know when we compare to other things, it's like, well, my four hundred one k last year did twenty percent. This thing's only doing X. Well, mm. your four hundred one k is an investment. This is a, you know this is a savings mm. thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think hopefully that will help people say that's why we're not trying to chase the return inside the policy in and of itself. Right. Where the where the real rate of return, you know, kind of like the seen versus the unseen. Mm. You know, like all the FedEx logo with mm-hmm. the. Have with you, the arrow, you seen it? Yeah, you'll never. Yeah. You can't unsee it. That's it. You can't unsee it. Once you've seen it. it, yeah. I told my son that, and he he's like, "Whoa!" Points it out every time. Yeah, now. yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, to your point on that, John, I would say, you know, you hear again back to noise, but you'll hear a lot of the detractors from having any kind of money or capital in a, in a life insurance vehicle. Hey, well, I don't believe in mixing my uh, life insurance with investments. You know what? I actually I don't believe that believe in that either. You know, we use life insurance as a savings tool. Mm-hmm. We're not investing in life insurance. We're saving money in life insurance, and we're going to take the excess there and look for opportunity to grow our wealth. And, wh- and what do we do with the profits? 
We just flows right back so we can do more. So you can get more, so you can get a bigger distribution center. Bingo. And hopefully multiple distribution centers because the first one just won't hold it. Yeah, it's like Monopoly. You just keep building and building and building. Bingo. Another like analogy that I like to use, and then we're going to like get into nuts and bolts of like how to do it or how to leverage the savings, is our from our teachings from Nelson and just hard knocks of learning the hard way. I mean, experience is a pretty tough teacher, a good one, yep. but but you know, kind can be heavy handed. Mm. Is that since we don't know you know, if people are going to take policy loans and then charge themselves, you know, market rate of interest and essentially expand their distribution center or their savings pool, we build people the fastest jet possible, Mm. meaning the policy design is going to be the fastest jet relative. It doesn't matter whether somebody's doing a million dollars a year or Mm. 25,000. Both jets will be the same, you know, relative speed. Yeah. One, I'm just going to hold more people. Exactly. And so, you know, and you know, when you're on the runway and you're sitting there and they like taxi and back up and you're sitting there and the re- engines are just revving, getting louder and louder. And you're just like, all right, let's do this. You know, I think that the patience piece of waiting, you know, it's like you put the money in and, you know, for the first like seven years, I mean, it's not that exciting. I mean, the, the leveraging it is exciting, but it in and of itself, it's, I mean, you know, it takes patience. Well, I think about, when that pilot jams on the the throttle and it like throws you in the back seat, I feel like that's what happens when the compounding really begins, like approximately around year seven. Yeah. And so since we don't know how people are going to behave with it, we just build the fastest jet for them. And then when they need more capacity or a bigger distribution center, we just build them another jet. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they need a hangar. Be kind of like, you know, building them the fastest eight seater possible. Right, and then all of a sudden they need to move sixteen people. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't fit sixteen in the eight seater, even though it's a very fast eight seater. We got to build. We got. We got to have another eight seater to get their sixteen people. Right. True. So let's get nuts and bolts with it. So how, like, how does this work? Like, how do we actually leverage this savings? Like, the way we leverage our savings is we're borrowing against the life insurance policy. Mm. We're not withdrawing our money. When, Although that is an option. Totally. That's not the most efficient option. Right. Because when we extract money from an account that is performing, that money is no longer in there to perform. Thus, we you know incur opportunity costs. But instead, by borrowing against it, we don't hinder its growth. It's kind of like, it's like a home equity line of credit mm-hmm. in a way. So like if I had an identical home next year's, but yours is completely paid for, no debt, and I have a 100% mortgage, would you agree that the value of our homes would rise and fall, hopefully rise the same, regardless of the fact that you don't have a, a note on it and I do? Correct. Okay. And so when we get a mortgage, we are borrowing against the value of the home, and the home doesn't really care. Yeah, the home appreciates whether you leverage against it or whether you don't. That's right. Mm. And so I, that maybe that helps mm. think about it, is that we, we never want to interrupt compounding. You know, Einstein said it was the eighth wonder of the world. Mm. Warren Buffett's got a great analogy about in his in his uh, documentary. One of his mm-hmm. he has got a really great analogy. If Warren Buffett thinks compounding is good, it's probably pretty good. Probably pretty good. Probably pretty good. And so, you know, the the exciting stuff about this is we work with our clients is when people leverage the savings, they have control, and then the cool stuff people get to go do. Mm-hmm. I mean, the real return is when you take down a deal, or your deal pencils out because you can borrow at a lower rate than. Your competition, mm-hmm. and right now with rates up, a lot of a lot of deals aren't 
I keep hearing that, that the deals just don't pencil out. They don't pencil out. Mm-mm. But, you know, when you talk about rate, and we're going to get into that whole conversation in a future episode, but, you know, the when when you get a mortgage at two and a half or three percent, we had fielded a lot of questions of why would I why would I leverage against my life insurance at four percent, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. You know, like you said in a couple of episodes ago, sometimes we still use the bank proper's money, sometimes we use cash, sometimes we leverage and use the life insurance company's money against our contract. No right? doubt. More options. All about having more options. And sometimes even with a higher quote unquote rate Sometimes the life insurance company's money still won because of how the interest is calculated, how long we were going to take to pay the deal back, because the dollar amount matters way more than the rate, right? Yeah, and sometimes you just don't want to hassle with it. Like, I had to replace my truck, and that's an interesting market. So, you know, it just made sense to buy it new. I drive forever, right? Yeah. Well, I could have gotten a rate, I could have gotten a lower rate than borrowing against my banking system, but I didn't want to fool with it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to pull my credit. I didn't want to, you know, yeah. and, and I had the control. And so maybe I could have saved a little bit, but sometimes like less stress, less things. If you can take someone off the plate, hopefully that, that helps. And you know, well, when we say here today that a 4% line of credit for the rest of your life sounds fairly attractive, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, but we 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 tend to myself included have short memories. Yeah, of course. And so you know, it's probably healthy for the U.S. taxpayer and saver or investor or both to experience some fluctuation rate. I mean, it's healthy. Sure, it's a good thing. Yeah, things don't always stay the same, right? No, the only the only the only constant is change. Mm, love it. All right, so as we wrap this kind of idea of talking through. Um, using a whole life contract as uh, similar to the way a business would use a distribution center, right? And also using it as a line of credit to leverage against, to take advantage of other opportunities so that those opportunities perform even more efficiently. What would you add, John? I think you nailed it. Nailed it. Thank you, man. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us for Save Yourself Podcast, brought to you by Unlimited Wealth. Adios. You've been listening to Save Yourself conversations, ideas, and strategic thinking with the four founders of Unlimit Wealth. To learn more about Unlimit Wealth or to make a personal appointment, visit us online at unlimitwealth.com.